Welcome back to our weekly podcast. We're in week two of our series, For Better or Worse. If you have a Bible with you today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I want to welcome all of our guests who are joining us for the first time this week on our podcast. We're so excited that you're here. What we're about to read in Ephesians chapter 5 is one of the best-known passages in all of the Bible on the topic of marriage. Ironically, this letter was written by an unmarried man, the Apostle Paul. Paul was able to offer godly wisdom for married couples because all of Scripture is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to pin the words that we have today. And because teaching others about marriage doesn't have to be based on experience. If someone understands the gospel well and understands the story of God's word as a whole, he or she can provide insight and wisdom on all kinds of relationships, marriage, parenting, and friendship. With this in mind, let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When I was early on in ministry, I had the opportunity to take a group of high school students to church camp during the summer. This is something that we were able to do every year for several years. I'm a pretty organized person. All of my files on my computer are categorized in a certain way. I have my weekly schedule planned out first thing Monday morning. The reason I share all of this with you is because it's crucial to the illustration. I'm a planner, and if I can help it, I like to know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. Anytime we traveled with a group of students, I knew where we were going to stop and eat. I knew how much gas would cost for the trip and which route we would take along the way. Now, for this, I leaned heavily on my GPS. On this particular trip, I had everything planned out. That is, until my GPS stopped working when we were in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. Without the GPS, there's no way that we were going to get to where we needed to go. I decided to drive until we saw a store that sold GPSs. Now, this was before phones were smart, so we didn't have that option. We ended up finding a Best Buy, so I ran inside and bought a new GPS. Uh, my wife stayed behind in the van, reassuring the kids that everything was going to be okay. Now, I'm pretty sure they were amused by the whole situation. They just had another funny story that they could add to their arsenal. 
Well, because of the new GPS, we were able to make it to and from camp without any more issues. The title of today's message is, If Marriage is a Journey, Who Has the GPS? I mentioned last week how we're living in a time when there are an endless number of truth claims about what makes a healthy marriage. Just browse the aisles at Barnes & Noble. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. With so many voices, how do we know who's to listen to? How do we know what's right? I don't want you to think of Ephesians 5 like an improvement guide for your spouse. That's not what it's meant to be. Instead, think of it as a GPS or a roadmap that God has given us to build the kind of marriages that glorify him and are ultimately for our good. Ephesians 5 is the GPS that helps us navigate the journey of marriage. What's often a misunderstood passage, Paul prefaced his instruction to married couples with an important verse about submission. Verse 21, I really believe is the foundation for this whole passage, says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What comes to mind when you hear that word submission? What does submission mean to you? For some people, this word reminds them of happy memories, of how they were raised in a home where both of their parents loved and served each other well because they loved and served the Lord. For many people, including many Christians, this word reminds them of negative or hurtful memories, of how they were raised in a home where parental authority was abused. And submission meant that one person bullied another. Positive and negative life experiences definitely impact our initial reaction to passages like Ephesians 5. With that being said, I do want to caution all of us about allowing other people or life experiences to distort our view of God and his word. Following a passage about worship and thankfulness, Paul gave the charge to Christian couples to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is just as much part of the Christian life as the practice of worship or the posture of thankfulness. In their book, Gospel-Shaped Marriage, authors Chad and Emily Von Dixhorn wrote that submission is not an optional extra that we custom order for people who are unusually spiritual. So it's not just for a select few. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So submission, first and foremost, starts with how we submit to God and his word. Following Jesus requires submission, and it's crucial that we learn how to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ if we're going to build the kind of marriages that God desires. I want to share three truths with you today that will help us understand this idea of submission. Number one, submission is for everyone. Submission is for everyone. Before we can understand what submission looks like within the individual roles of husbands and wives, we have to learn that submission is for everyone. And while Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, contains a lot of wonderful truths and wisdom for our marriages, Ephesians 5, 21 is the foundation. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is for everyone. What did Paul mean when he wrote this? First and foremost, submission is not a trend that we accept when it's popular and then deny when it's not. Right now, the idea of submission is seen in a very negative light in our culture. But from God's perspective, it's meant to be a good thing. And if God calls us to do something, in this case, submitting to one another, 
then we need to trust that it's necessary for our faith to flourish. Writing about God's design and purpose for submission, those same two authors, Chad and Emily, wrote that God always calls us to what will lead us to praise him and toward what is in itself good, true, and properly understood, beautiful. So it's good that we learn how to submit our lives to God and his word and then how to submit to one another. This truth is what sets the stage for Paul's instruction on marriage throughout the rest of the chapter. Because submission is for everyone, whatever submission is, whatever God means by submission, we're all in this together. While the focus is on submission within our marriages, Paul also addresses two other scenarios where submission is necessary and good. He talks about parental relationships and work-related relationships. He's pointing out that in all of these things, marital, parental, work-related relationships, our love for God should lead us to a radical demonstration of honoring and serving one another above ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. A great way to think about submission is being devoted to one another and honoring one another above yourself in a way that leads to serving. If we're going to do this correctly, especially living in a world that's selfish and self-serving, our marriages need to be characterized by love, respect, and service. So submission is servanthood. There needs to be a quiet competition in our marriages where each person is trying to put the other person first, demonstrating a you first, please let me do this for you attitude, has mutual submission written all over it. Let's dive a little deeper into what mutual submission means and what it's meant to look like within the context of a Christian marriage. Number two, mutual submission means continuing to date your spouse. Continuing to date your spouse. If we're gonna submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's important that we continue to date our spouse. This is being intentional about learning more about your spouse throughout the journey of marriage. It's studying your spouse. Learning more about your spouse should be an ongoing activity. Knowing how the other person thinks, what they love, learning how to meet their needs during the good and bad times, you know, for better or worse. This requires an intentional commitment to studying one another. And this is what I mean by continuing to date your spouse. Now, this has a lot to do with submission. The best restaurant servers are the ones who are the most attentive. The best flight attendants are the ones who take the time to talk with all the passengers. And the healthiest marriages are the ones where the husband and wife both make it a priority to learn more about each other, even after they say, I do. When I first met my wife, I did everything that I could to learn more about her. I was intentional about this for a long time. That is, until we said, I do. For some reason, I stopped trying to pursue her and wanting to learn more about her in the same way that I did before we got married. It wasn't until I heard another pastor talk about the importance of continuing to date your spouse that I took some of these things to heart. Being intentional about learning more about your spouse in order to better serve them is an act of submission. In 14 years of marriage, I've learned that I can't serve my wife well if I don't know her well. She's not the same person that I married 14 years ago. She's grown spiritually. Her interests have changed. Some of her needs have changed. And 
how we enjoy each other's company has also changed to some degree. Continuing to date your spouse involves every aspect of life. It's a lifelong process. It's a journey. It's asking how you can pray for your spouse, asking how their day went, deciding that you're going to really listen when they're talking. And men, this is hard. It's taking an interest in what they're interested in. It's putting the needs of your spouse above your own. So continuing to date your spouse is an act of submission. Number three, mutual submission means continuing to grow in the word, continuing to grow in the word. So submission is for everyone. Really, that's the foundation. And mutual submission means continuing to date your spouse. But even more than that, it involves knowing and applying God's word to our lives. Ephesians 5 is the GPS that helps us navigate the journey of marriage. And God's word as a whole is the GPS that helps us navigate the journey of life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is a passage that God put on my heart this past week. It says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friends, the Bible is not a collection of stories, fables, myths, or human ideas about God. And that's because it's not really a human book. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, God revealed his person and plan to certain believers who then wrote his message down for his people. And that's what the phrase God breathed means. Yes, God used human authors to pin the words, but there's really only one author of the Bible, and that's God. Although these writers wrote from their own personal, historical, and cultural context, and they used their own minds, talents, language, and style, they wrote what God wanted them to write. Because of this, Scripture is completely trustworthy. Its words are entirely authoritative for our faith and lives because the Bible is God-breathed. The Bible is our standard for testing everything that we see and hear, everything in this world that claims to be true. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Not only is the Bible God-breathed, it's also alive and life-changing as it works in us. With the precision of a surgeon's knife, God's word reveals who we truly are and who we're not. It penetrates to the core of our lives, cutting away our fleshy desires and making us more like Jesus. A Christian who isn't growing in the word is like a chef without a knife or a carpenter without a hammer. So if Christian couples are going to mutually submit to one another in the way that Ephesians 5 commands, we have to prioritize growing in the word. We can't get to where God is leading us without his word doing its work in our lives. Uh, Bruce and April Hanke are not going to be in church with us this Sunday. Uh, Bruce serves as an elder and um, April serves on staff. Uh, Bruce happens to be fishing on his new boat this weekend, so make sure you give him a hard time next week. But I asked them if I could use them as an illustration. A few months back, I had a conversation with April that was really encouraging. She was talking about how teaching the Bible to others has impacted both of their lives, uh, individually and as a couple. You know, they were spending more time in the Word themselves and then sharing God's Word with other people. This is an amazing thing, but the one thing that really made an impact in their marriage was deciding to read the Bible together. 
what a great example of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, putting God and his word at the center of your marriage like this, talking about what you're learning and encouraging each other to apply God's wisdom to your life. This is at the core of what it means to submit. My conversation with April got me thinking about some of the missed opportunities in my own life and in my own marriage and how I could make God's word more of a priority in my own family. Mutual submission means continuing to grow in the word. And one of the best ways to do this is to read with your spouse, pray with your spouse, and encourage one another to apply what you're learning. I have to admit that I haven't been great at this in the past. But having the reminder about how God's word is God-breathed, how it's alive and powerful, this only encourages me to prioritize what's most important. Hearing stories like the Hankies is contagious. You know, it fires me up to begin some new habits in my own marriage. Mutual submission means continuing to grow in the word. So I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to prioritize God's word in your marriage, whether it's reading a short devotional Um, reading the verse for the day, or just spending five minutes in the word together before you go to bed. Man, what a great way to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we're going to understand and apply Paul's instruction to married couples about submission, specifically God's role for husbands and wives, we have to start with Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is for everyone. It looks different between husbands and wives at times, but it is for everyone. Mutual submission means continuing to date your spouse. Think back to how you pursued your spouse before you got married and decide today that you're gonna work at getting to know one another better. Learning about your spouse is a lifelong journey. And finally, mutual submission means continuing to grow in the word. Even if it's just five minutes a day, I wanna encourage you to open God's word with your spouse, read together, pray together, See how God uses his word to transform your marriage. Our first act of submission is ultimately to God and his word. But God has also called us to submit to one another. This is meant to be a good thing. I want to encourage you to go home and reread Ephesians chapter 5 this week. Pray about how God can help you apply some of his truths, his wisdom to your life and ultimately in your marriage. Next week, we'll wrap up our series uh, with a final message on marriage. We're going to look at some important characteristics that build healthy marriages. I can't wait to see you next week.